Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Memphis native and collector Elliot Perry. After graduating with a degree in marketing, Elliot was drafted in the second round of the 1991 NBA draft by the Los Angeles Clippers and went on to play 10 years. After retirement, Elliot served as a player representative with the NBA Players Association, and in October 2005, he began a new chapter in his life when he joined the Memphis Grizzlies ownership team. Currently living in Tennessee with his wife Kimberly and their daughter, Elliot continues to support several Memphis-based nonprofit organizations that support underserved communities. He and his wife are avid art collectors and have amassed one of the top contemporary collections of African-American and African artists in the country. They have been collecting for over 20 years and continue to support not only artists, but art organizations that help build a stronger and more diverse arts community in Memphis. Their collection has been written about extensively and exhibited several times and was shown at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History and the Flint Institute of Arts. In 2022, he was honored by the Museum of Modern Art and the Black Arts Council. Taking a quote from his sincere speech, Eliot said, Our enthusiasm is not just simply about a collection. It is in some way our attempt at documenting and preserving African-American culture and history for the next generation. Visit CerebralWomen.com to read his speech and expanded bio for a great appreciation of Elliot and Kimberly's commitment to support Black artists and the Memphis communities. Thank you. Enjoy this episode featuring Elliot Perry. Elliot, thank you for joining me on my podcast. Uh, Thank you. Glad to be here. When did you discover your interest in the visual arts? Um, I, you know, I, I would say I didn't really discover it. I think, you know, somebody just kind of introduced me to it. Daryl Walker, who, um, when I was playing in the NBA back in 96, uh, Charles Barkley took a group of us over to Japan for uh, nine days and three exhibition games. And uh, I sat on the plane with Daryl Walker, who I'd known who played in the NBA for, you know, a number of years. He was coaching at the time in Washington. And he just started talking to me about art and showing the catalogs and, you know, 17-hour flight going and then 17-hour flight coming back. You know, just 
it's just good conversation. And then ultimately when I got back to the States and when the season started, he was just, he would just always, you know, prod me like, Hey, I see you're in New York, go to Bill Hodges gallery or go to this show. I see you in Boston, go see John Wilson. You know, I see you in, you know, wherever I was. And he would always send me catalogs and all those things. And so for about a year or so, I just, I was just really reading and Daryl was really kind of mentoring me and just kind of continuing to talk to me and keep my interest up and, and energized. You know, just over that time, the more I read, the more interesting stories, you know, about artists that, you know, who were who were making works, particularly like Norman Lewis or uh, Alma Thomas or Buford Delaney, Charles White, uh, Elizabeth Catlett, kind of all of those artists who I, I really was reading about. And then about a year or so after that, I just you know, I decided to jump in and I purchased my first work and it was really a print. Cause I didn't really know what I was doing, but that's kind of how I got started in the summer of 96. Um, and it just carried on. When did you decide you preferred abstraction over figurative and, and vice versa? Do you remember, you know, doing your research? Yeah, I, you know, I, I definitely remember. I, I would say my preference when I initially started and, and, and I'll back up a little bit because after about a year or so, you know, I really didn't know what I was doing. And then I saw this collector, Dr. Walter Evans' collection. He was showing his collection in Little Rock, where Daryl lived. And so I drove up to Little Rock one Saturday morning to see his collection. I was, you know, blown away that a brother had all these artists I was reading about. He had all of them. He had some of the best works about these artists. And, uh, you know, I thought that day, like, if I'm going to do this for the next 20, 30 years, this is exactly what I want to do. You know, really think about collecting at a high level. And so I began that day, you know, really collecting, you know, one of my first pieces I collected was uh, uh, Elizabeth Catley drawing and then ultimately met her, collected one of her sculptures. And then I went to the Puck Show on Houston Street. I don't know if people even remember that now, you know, it was kind of like a fine black black arts show in New York. And I met Bill Hodges and, you know, I purchased the Norman Lewis work. 1947 Norman Lewis work. It was like it's called Fish Eater. It was kind of in between Norman's figurative and abstract progression. And um, I really did prefer figurative works. So the majority of the works I was collecting at the time were figurative. And then um, I ultimately met Norman Lewis's daughter, Taryn Fuller, when I was playing in New Jersey and spent tons of time with her, you know, just looking at Norman's work and her talking about Norman, his experience in the abstract expressionist group. And uh, I just fell in love with Norman Lewis's work. And so I think that really was the time when I kind of, I wouldn't say I prefer one or the other. I just kind of you know, just just embrace the abstraction, and so it's 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 been on ever since. That's great. Um, I love this story. What type of relationship do you like to have with artists? You know, I, I would say I'll 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 preface it with this: is I collected from '96, really like like '96, '97, all the way up to kind of 2004. I told you I was collecting most of like old school artists who were already validated, who I was reading about in the books. And I was reading Dr. Walter Evans' catalog, you know, some years later after his show, and something just really jumped out at me. He said uh, when he was collecting in the early 60s, you know, all the way up to the present, he wanted to do three things. He wanted to support artists early. So, you know, a lot of these artists we know as household names, you know, obviously they were not household names then. They were, you know, they were merging at the time. He wanted to support artists early. He wanted to establish a relationship with the artists. And then lastly, he wanted to collect the work. And those three things jumped out at me. In 2004, I just did a 180 and only started collecting living contemporary artists for that reason. You know, I'm, I'm, I called Daryl Walker that day and was like, hey, man, I'm doing a 180. I'm just only collecting living contemporary artists. You know, obviously he thought I was losing my mind. 
a couple of the first artists I, I collected was I, I kind of already had a relationship with Radcliffe Bailey, Bailey a little bit. So, you know, I was talking with Radcliffe, you know, we worked something out and then Radcliffe uh, introduced me to uh, Hank Willis Thomas work. So he gave me his contact information. I connected with Hank Willis Thomas and then, you know, we started that relationship going. And then around about that time, the Studio Museum was were, were having their F shows. And uh, that's where you could really see kind of a group of emerging artists all at the same time. And uh, out of those shows, you know, I built a lot of relationships. Micheline Thomas, of course, Leslie Hewitt, one of my favorite artists, Rasheed Johnson, kind of all of those artists. And I'll go back to the question you asked is, you know, that's been the mission of what we're trying to do is, is particularly us, my wife and I is, establish relationships with artists early, support them early, and then lastly, collect the work. I always tell artists that, you know, the, the one thing I don't want is this just to be transactional. You know, I feel like if, if, if we're going to be caretakers of the work, I would love to have the, the relational part of it. And, and those relationships have meant a lot to us. I mean, you think about Rasheed Johnson and Deaster Gates, Micheline Thomas, Nina Chanel Abney, you know, kind of all names who have gone on to do great things. Hank Willis Thomas, we have relationships with those artists now. Obviously, we probably couldn't afford the works now, but the relationships, I still can pick up the phone and call any one of those artists. I still could text those artists, you know. And so that to me is, you know, what we hope to do is to you know, just continue to support artists really early before they're validated, you know, in mainstream, so to speak. And then, you know, lastly, collect the works. You have the perfect strategy for a collector. <laughs> Get to know the artist. Yeah, I mean... It's great that you want to not only own their work, but you're committed to supporting them. Yeah, and you know, I think, you know, for us, it's been kind of one of those situations where, you know, when you support somebody early, I think a couple of things happen. One, you have access to their work, and two, you have access to them. You know, those two things are, are super important. I always say it's like... I mean, you take somebody like uh, Titus Cafar, you don't have as much access to their work because they're with major galleries. Although I have access to them personally, you just don't have access to the work because the demand is high, supply is low, prices are up, you know. And so I think, you know, in the beginning, those two things are super important to us. Yeah. And does the artist's narrative influence how you view their work and if you want to purchase it, live with it? I mean, that's a tricky question. I think I think yes and no. And I say that, you know, not to kind of ditch the question, but, you know, when, when I think about the mission of our collection, obviously it's to show what artists of color are doing at every level, you know? So you think about abstraction, you think about figurative works, you think about minimalist work, you think about females, you think about conceptual work, kind of all those things. And sometimes some works can be tough, you know, like they, they can be tough visually to look at, but I think it allows us to grapple with the conversations around why artists made this work, you know, their, their, their visual voice. And so, you know, I think about somebody like a D'Angelo Lavelle Williams, who I have this uh, photograph called Face Down, Ass Up. And visually, it's a tough photograph to look at. But, you know, after having conversations with him about the photograph and what he was trying to portray, I mean, it made sense for us to collect the work if we were going to be true to our mission. And that is to, you know, to sometimes have these tough dialogues, you know, so, you know, I would say that, you know, when artists are making works, sometimes, you know, sometimes we love the work right off the bat. Sometimes we talk to the artists and even love the work even more. So I, I just think like it's just our opportunity to really grapple with the work ourselves before we actually talk to the artist. And then, you know, then we can love or hate it. Yeah, love that. Do you feel black art can be defined? Um, I don't. You know, I think I think black art is is having a, you know, a, a worldly conversation. 
you know, I think everything that they're ha- having conversations about religion, they're having conversations about gender, they're having conversations about race. So I think we're grappling with all of those things. And, it, and it's not up to the artist to, so to speak, try to be in mainstream with some of these conversations. These are conversations that we're having in our own communities and that happen in our own communities. And so whomever is, you know, viewing the work, uh, obviously they can draw their own conclusions about the work. But, you know, ultimately they have to grapple with what, you know, what the artist is is, is trying to portray. And, and those answers may be different depending on who's looking at the works. And so I just don't think that 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 Black art can be defined. I definitely don't think that. Mm-hmm. Are there trends in the art world that you find promising? I would say I think this way, and and I've learned to think this way over the, over, over the 20 plus years that we've been collecting, and I even tell artists this, is there, there, there's always trends. Sometimes there's a figurative trend. I think there's a hardcore figurative trend that's, you know, probably... Now we're seeing more artists working in, in, in a figurative space, but, you know, we, we, we try to do both and that's collect abstract artists art as well. But, you know, we, we, when you think about this is, you know, what may be trendy now may not be trendy, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now. And what you know, people don't respond to now, they may respond to 20, 30 years from now or 10, 12 years from now. Because I always say that there's a young curator out there and they may be 15 years old now. And, you know, they're, they're, they may look at your work 20 years from now and think like, wow, this guy's a, a genius. I mean, most people think that David Hammonds is a genius now. But I, I would venture to say, you know, talking with A.C. Hudgens that, in 1972 or 70s in the 70s, I mean, most people probably were not feeling his work in the 70s. And, you know, so I just always ask artists to be true to yourself, you know, make the work that you believe in and the rest will take care of itself. Do you live with art everywhere in your house? Yeah, absolutely. Kitchen, bathroom, bedroom? Kitchen, bedroom, guest bedroom, daughter's bedroom, media room, just living room. I mean, you know, everywhere. And we love it so much. And I think that you kind of get, I hate to like used to it a little bit because, you know, you just walk around and you, you, you deal with art indirectly and you, you really don't know the impact it may have, particularly on my daughter who's 15 now. But, you know, probably when she was eight years old, nine years old, I remember we went to the Museum of Modern Art and she saw uh, a Micheline Thomas in the window and, and realized like, hey, we have that in our home. You know, like, so you, you, you don't know, but, but it just shows you the connectivity of art, particularly with young kids or, or older kids. Do you consider art an asset class? I do. You know, I absolutely do. I don't consider it like an investment. And the reason I say that is, is I think when you think about it as an investment, you're looking for a return, you know? And so if, you, if you're looking at the market, when the market goes up and down, you're drawn to that. You know, if the market is down big, you are, you, you're connected to that. If the market is up big, you're happy, you're connected to that because you know that probably your portfolio is doing well or is doing bad, you know. But art, on the other hand, for me, is an asset class because I think differently when you talk about assets, this is something that my hope is, is that it goes up over time. And, you know, I'm not, I'm living with it with this intrinsic value that I have to be able to live with it. I'm not tied to, oh, you know, we bought an Alma Thomas in 2000, 2001. You know, we, we've been living with this Alma Thomas, you know, 20 years. So what we paid for it in 2001 versus what it's worth now, you know, it, it's insane. But we haven't been attached to like, no, we, you know, we got to sell it. We got to do all this. No, we, we, we just love the work. And so I do think it is an asset. What do you feel is the obligation of Black Museum trustees? 
You know, I think that's a really good question because I think the responsibility really is to try to keep the conversation going and to really, you know, look at the other trustees and, and, and make some recommendations that probably if you were not in a room, they would not make. And I say all that to say is I think museums generally, that's from the executive director to the curators to, you know, trustees in a way are fairly traditional you know, I think that it's hard for somebody to, you know, value a work, particularly if an artist is is an emerging artist or sort of a mid, mid-tier emerging artist. Now, when that artist is validated, you know, it's, it's easy to want to add those artists to the conversation. But my hope is that museums, directors and curators and trustees would think a little bit differently about how they collect. And I think, you know, when you have black trustees in the room, particularly, you know, ones who I think take the approach that we take is we want to collect an artist you know, early, I think if museums could take that approach, then, you know, when the space gets crowded, you've already made that decision. But I think Black trustees' responsibility is really to keep the conversation going and to, and to help the other trustees grapple with the work that artists are making and, and support the, the, the visual arts and, and their voice. What do you feel is the purpose of art and what is the artist's role? I would say the the artist's role is to make work, is to to push us out of our comfort zones in a way, because I think it's it's easy to look at art that's I put it this way, art that gives you answers as opposed to looking at art that's asking you questions. I think that that's the role of an artist. I hope that artists are asking questions putting out work that's asking questions as opposed to giving answers and allow people to deal with the work, how they deal with it. And, you know, that's artists across centuries have been doing that. And so the black artist is no different. Uh, just make quality work, make work that asks questions and, 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 and deal with the topics that you want to deal with. I mean, a lot of these conversations we're having are around the conversations that are happening just in, 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 in general. And so I think artists are making works that speaks to that. Are there concepts or thoughts that connect the work you collect? You know, I'll be honest with you. The, the way we collect is, is fairly open. I think sometimes you can get boxed in with, you know, trying to make all the works be in dialogue with each other. Look, I'm not an educator, I'm not an academic, and I'm not a curator. I'm not e- either one of those three. And so I collect works that move me, that move us. And so, I mean, we don't always agree on each work, but I think over probably 95% of the time we, we're in agreement. And so we just make works that move us. And and a lot of times, you know, I'll be honest with you, you know, when, when we have initial conversations with artists, I've been, there's some young artists that I've been just like super, super, super impressed with. I know that they're going to do wonderful things uh, just based on their conversations, based on the work that they're making early. I know they they will mature and the work will as well. But, you know, not only am I supporting the artwork, I'm supporting the artists too. You know, so whatever we're buying, we're buying their ideas as well. And I just think that that's a personal thing is like, I want to be able to not be boxed in and collect what people tell me to collect. I want to collect what I want to collect. And so to that point, we did a, a show in, in Michigan at the uh, Charles Wright African-American Museum and then the Flint Institute of Art. It was, it was a contemporary collection show at the Flint, our kind of old school collection part of a show at the uh, Charles Wright African-American Museum. And, and really, it was meant to kind of cross-pollinate their people. If you want to see the second half of the show, you had to drive up to Flint. And the Flint people, if you want to see the other half of the show, you had to drive to Charles Wright African American Museum. <laughs> you know, I think it just, it speaks to that because this this is kind of, uh, I would say, like a, a crisscrossing conversations. And so you can see that none of this is in a vacuum. These artists are making works. And, and a lot of these conversations have been had before. We're seeing them in a new way when contemporary artists do it. And so... Like, I just never wanted to be boxed in and somebody tell me, hey, these these works are in dialogue with us, so you have to collect this if you're going to collect that. No, I just collect what we love. Yeah. 
This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much. I love that you've shared your perspective and, and insights uh, with us on your collecting style. I love hearing when collectors are passionate about not only collecting, but also supporting the artist. This is my last question. What do you feel is your role as a collector? Is to be a good custodian, you know, to be a good caretaker of the work. And, and I say that with so much passion because I do believe that in a small way, I'm preserving the culture and history of the work and of the artist's voice. I mentioned that we did a show in Flint, Michigan, and, and then in, in, in Detroit at Charles Wright, African American Museum. And the, the title of the show was spot on for us. And the title of, of the catalog and the show was Point of View. And so I, I've always said that as I'm collecting works, as I'm talking about our collection, I want to be able to tell it from my point of view. You know, now an academic can bring their point of view in, in terms of talking about the work. Artists can bring their point of view in and talking about the work. But I want to be able to say why I collected this work, when I collected this work, and having conversations with the artists, I can tell those stories from our point of view and not, you know, somebody else talking about what this collection means or the academic side of this collection or wh what they think. And so I think that's the role of the collector is, you know, just to, to, to be great custodians of the work and to be able to be good caretakers. I agree with you 100%. And thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.